Well, I hope you enjoyed the music up to this point, and I love it that the worship music always prepares us to get into God's Word. And I encourage you on this Easter morning to take your Bible and turn over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, as we talk about three words that an angel gave to the two Marys at the tomb. Christ is risen. Matthew chapter 28, beginning with verse 1. And I hope you have your copy of Scripture there as I read it to you. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has been risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Well, as we read that passage, and we can read that in several of the Gospels as well, it just reminds us of the amazing truths of the fact that Christ had risen from the dead. This is the greatest day in human history. As I think about all the things that happened in Jesus' life, as great as Christmas is, as great as feeding the 5,000, and on and on we could go about the miracles, about his teachings, about um, the things that he shared with his disciples. This is the greatest day in human history. And we could spend an hour at least talking about all the changes that occurred in our world because of the historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead. I'm glad that in 1985 I graduated with a degree in apologetics. I got a master's degree and it just, uh, this is the high day for me because I love to defend the fact that the resurrection shows us who Jesus really is. He came to be born of a virgin and then he rises from the dead to be glorified by God. Notice the narrative that we just read from Matthew chapter 28. The two Marys go to the tomb. We don't know whether they go to uh, hopefully open up the grave and do some more preparation for burial to preserve his body. We're not sure if they were just going there to grieve some more because they had this time after the crucifixion and they were sad. They were despondent. They were without hope. We're not exactly sure what the purpose was, but when they got there to the tomb, an earthquake occurred. The stone was rolled away. The guards were paralyzed and presumably ran off. The angel shares the message to these two improbable witnesses. And what's so amazing about Jesus is how he elevated the place of women in Roman society. Back in those days, uh, a husband could divorce his wife for something as simple as burning the toast. 
It often took two or more witnesses of a woman to testify in court to equal that of a testimony of a man. And who is it that the words come to first? The fact that Jesus rose from the dead, but two women by an angel, and then Jesus meets them on their way back. He then gives the two Marys instructions on where the disciples should meet him, out in Galilee. And eventually he would sit down and talk with his disciples. But can you imagine the joy, the exhilaration, the overwhelming excitement these two women had as they felt like they weren't even stepping on the ground. They felt like they were flying as they got back to the disciples. Satan is defeated. Death has no more sting. Sin doesn't have power over us. And he has declared the victory over those things to give us freedom in Christ by us receiving the Holy Spirit and obtaining the same resurrection power into our lives. I want us to think of this statement by the angel, Christ is risen. I want to extract three very powerful words that the angel said that have so much meaning. We need to stop on this Easter Sunday and meditate and think about the depth of the meaning of those words, Christ is risen. First of all, in your outline, I encourage you to write the simple word Christ. Christ. First of all, the name Christ means the anointed one. Jesus Christ means Jehovah saves. Jesus was his proper name, and there were many people in that society at that time that had the name of Jesus. But what made Jesus unique was his surname, and that was Christ, meaning the anointed one, the Emmanuel, the one who would be with us, the one who would die and save his people from their sins, as it says in Matthew's gospel at his birth. So the anointed one. He was set apart by God to do one thing, primarily and one thing only, to die for the sins of the world. Second of all, not only was he anointed, he's the Messiah. Do you realize over 365 different prophecies were talked about who the Messiah would be, and Jesus has fulfilled almost all of them. There's just a small segment of prophecies left that when he makes his return, when he comes back again, He will complete all those predictions and he will fulfill what was said of the Messiah. But he begins his ministry, as you know, and John the Baptist baptizes him in the the Jordan River and then he goes off into the wilderness for 40 days and fasts and is tempted by Satan. But then his real public ministry begins in Luke chapter four, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, Jesus did, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed." to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine what that day must have been like? The common people gathered in a small place that was called a synagogue. It might have been even a Jewish home for all we know. But Jesus stood up 
And he was the rabbi that day. He shared the scripture from Isaiah, telling them that he was here to fulfill the prophecy that he was going to be the Messiah. So he's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. But then thirdly, he's the suffering servant. The suffering servant. And the people that they struggled with this idea of the Messiah being one who had to die for the sins of the nation of Israel and for the whole world. But it was prophesied in Isaiah 53. It was predicted of him. In Isaiah 53, it says that he was despised. Jesus was and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Jesus became the scapegoat. And the picture here is that of the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And the scapegoat takes upon himself the sins of the nation of Israel and is driven out into the wilderness. Jesus becomes the scapegoat as the suffering servant. Too many people miss this about Jesus' first coming. They focus on he was a great moral teacher. He did miracles. He did signs. He did wonders. And many people feel like that he failed in his mission because he didn't conquer the Romans that were over the people of Israel at that time. They were looking for a conquering political figure to carry out and restore justice for the Israelites. Some of them were just on the fringe. They enjoyed the entertainment factor. They liked seeing Jesus fulfill their needs by feeding the 5,000, by healing people. And they were there following him around because of the physical things that Jesus could do for them. There were those that followed him from a distance that were just curious. But when Jesus was popular and with the case of the disciples, at least with the disciples, they left everything to follow him. It was hard until after the resurrection to understand and accept that Jesus was to be the suffering servant to redeem all the world to himself. And many people missed out on what Jesus' mission was. And then we see that he was the conquering king. We see that more in the future, that he will be the conquering king. It says that Jesus will come in the clouds out of the eastern sky, according to Matthew chapter 26. And he's coming as the conquering king who will forever reign in Jerusalem to fulfill the prophecy given to David that his throne would be eternal. That it will be a continual person of his lineage from now into eternity to sit on his throne forever and ever in Jerusalem. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, it says, Jesus is talking, he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. Think about what a day will be when Jesus is the conquering king. All evil will be gone. The streets will be 
gold in the new Jerusalem. There won't be any weeping or crying. There won't be aging. There won't be death. There won't be a need for a sun or a moon because the radiant glory of God will light up the entire universe. It will be the most beautiful place you can imagine. It says in the Old Testament that the lion will lay down next to the lamb, that they'll get along, that the deserts will root up or, or, or produce flowers, and it'll be beautiful looking out over what was once desert. It's going to be an amazing place here in the millennium and in the new heaven and the new earth. So what's our application here as we think about who this Christ is in the midst of the story of the resurrection? Jesus Christ was unique in that his passion was to come and to save the world from sin. And that's part of the message of Easter. That's what Good Friday is all about, is Jesus laying down his life, being a lamb led to slaughter, allowing the nails to pierce his body and allow love to hold him there on the cross to give eternal life. It'll be a time like no other, as I said, in the millennium, in the new heavens and the new earth. What else can we learn from this simple phrase, Christ is risen? Second of all, is. Is. We see that verb there, two-letter verb, and we think about that. And it talks about the fact that Christ, first of all, is eternal. He's always existed. Think about it, from the beginning of the writings of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, he was there with the Holy Spirit creating the world. We see throughout the Old Testament, Christophanies. We see his incarnation in the Gospels where he comes and wraps himself up in human flesh. And Mary gives birth to him, 100% God, 100% man. Then we read about how after he was glorified, after resurrected, in Acts chapter 1, he ascends up into heaven. And he's at the right hand of the throne of God, being our high priest on our behalf. And then we anticipate his second return, his second advent, where he's going to come, as we said, and be a conquering king. He's eternal. He's always been there and always will be. Second of all, as we think of is, he's immutable. Immutable, that's a big word. I could have put in there and just never changing. But God, through Jesus Christ, keeps all of his promises. It says in Hebrews 13:8, a verse I learned very early in my Christian walk. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what's so exciting about that verse is when we read the Bible and we see how God worked in all these people's lives. When we see people who fail and God forgives, redeems, and uses them, it gives us hope because Jesus Christ is the same and he could do the same in our hearts and our lives today. The same power that resurrected Jesus Christ is the same power, according to Paul, that abides in us if we're followers of Christ in the form of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection power that can change and transform our lives. So under is, he's eternal, he's immutable, and then he's the high priest, as I mentioned just a moment ago. He's our high priest. He's our intercessor at the right hand of the Father praying for us, defending us from Satan, the prosecuting attorney. In Hebrews 13, it says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a great promise those verses give us. That we have an advocate, that we have someone we can go to at 3 a.m. in the morning or when we're off to ourselves all alone and have no one else to talk to, he is there. He's waiting for us to come. Jesus is there supporting us before the Father. And it's through the blood of Jesus Christ that we have direct access to the very throne of God. So we can go in confidence, as verse 16 tells us, to find mercy, to find grace in our time of need. Our application here is that Jesus will ever be, and he will ever be for us at the Father's throne. I hope that encourages you today, that Jesus will ever be. He will always exist, but he will also be working on our behalf. What an encouragement. Well, as great as what has already been said, what validates who Jesus is and who God is, is the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. We come to our third word, Christ is, now it's risen. Risen. Jesus predicted his death, his burial, and resurrection. We could go to several accounts in the Gospels and several different places where Jesus predicts this. And it's unique. See, the world tries to say that Christ or the New Testament writers took this story of Jesus rising from the dead from other religions. Osiris was an Egyptian mythological god. And he got killed in a battle. And he rose to life, but he went to live in the underworld to be with his wife and to conquer the underworld. The problem is, there's no historical evidence for that. And he never predicted that he would do that. We think of Mithra, who was a Zoroastrian angel who represented warriors and soldiers. In fact, the very Roman soldiers that may have crucified Jesus may have been worshiping or venerating after Mithra because he represented strength and courage and integrity. And so Mithra as well, he died and rose again, but again, no historical evidence, no prediction. It's found and based in myth. Jesus is unique because he predicted his own death, his burial and resurrection, but not only did he predict it, Jesus accomplished what he predicted. His death, burial, and subsequent resurrection proves and supports everything he did in his life, all his signs and wonders, the feeding of the 5,000, the healing of the paralytic, when he came down through the roof of the house, and on and on we go. It supports the fact of his teaching of the kingdom of God and the way of salvation when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. This fact that he rose again historically validates everything Jesus did during his life, even prior to Good Friday. It also points us to who the true God of all gods is. There's so many gods over the centuries that people have tried to uh, lift up and, and to worship, and they're found out to be false every time. But in Acts chapter 2, when Peter's first sermon 
as he goes out to the streets of Jerusalem, he says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested or accredited by God with mighty acts and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. In verse 22, it says that God attested or credited him. In the Greek, it literally means he stamped his approval on Jesus being equal with God, being his son, and, and showing that he was the Messiah to the Israelites. It also teaches us here that Yahweh, Jehovah, is the one true God. Because Jesus was always pointing to the Father in his teachings. And now we see that God had validated that teaching. So it eliminates all the other gods. How important is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead physically and recorded historically? Paul answers that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection chapter. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 13, Paul says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, verse 14, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Jump down to verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If the resurrection was something spiritual and his body's still in the tomb, if Jesus didn't physically rise again, or some believe he hallucinated or he got revived from a coma being in the coolness of the tomb, if he didn't actually die and rise again, then we may as well throw away our Bibles, we may as well stop gathering together because we have no hope. It says we're the most pity people in the world because if the resurrection is not true. The greatest proof for any of us that God has raised Jesus from the dead is the power that abides in a believer in his heart in Christ, the Holy Spirit. And one of the best testimonies of Jesus' resurrection is how Christ changes your life and continues to change your life. I remember after becoming a Christian in October of 1972, fast forward to that next spring in 1973, and understanding what Easter was all about for the very first time. And the Holy Spirit had taken root in my life. I began to look back in just a short few months of being a Christian and how I couldn't wait to read God's word, how my language changed, my attitude of rebellion changed, uh, the things I desired changed. My insecurities were all of a sudden gone. And so many things that I can look back on that first Easter after being a Christian of how God transformed my life. And if you're here today, I hope that you can point back and see year after year how God is transforming you and making you more like Jesus Christ. I find that many people don't dispute the resurrection of Christ being real. Oh yeah, there's those outliers you know, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, others, Bart Ehrman, who don't necessarily believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. 
and they will purport all kinds of theories to try to prove that. But most people do believe that Jesus rose historically, but why won't they receive him? Why won't they embrace the fact that he is the savior of the world? Well, many think they have to earn their salvation. It's too easy to just believe on the name of Jesus and trust him to forgive them of their sins and to turn away from their sins. They feel like it's something they have to earn. They can't see it as a gift. Others are too proud to humble themselves, to admit that they're sinners, to want to repent or turn away from their sin. Others, they don't want to give up their lifestyle. They realize that if they come to faith in Christ, things are going to change because the Holy Spirit comes to abide in their life. And then there's some, a select few, that would rather live in hell for eternity than to be with God in heaven for whatever reason. So people reject Christ for many different reasons. The application here is, has your life been changed because you received the power of the resurrection? Can you see evidence in your life of things over time that God has changed your attitude, your outlook in life, your perspective, your purpose, your ambitions? Can you see how God has changed your life after receiving the power of the resurrection? Well, our key thought here is this. The resurrection of Jesus changed the world. How has it changed your world personally? Are you sharing your faith? Are you hungry to be in God's word? Are you anxious to be together with God's people, either online or here in the sanctuary one day when we can get back together and sit and see each other face to face. I want to close with this thought as we go through this pandemic. In John chapter 20, it's interesting we see a similar scenario as to what we're facing with COVID-19. We see in John chapter 20, the disciples on Saturday, Jesus is dead, he's buried, he's in the grave. Saturday must have been a horrific day, a day of despair and hopelessness, and the disciples are hunkered down. And it says in John chapter 20, that Sunday evening, even after the resurrection occurred, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish religious leaders. And suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. They were scared to death. They thought they would be executed as Jesus was because they were the closest followers of his, the leaders of a new movement. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders probably wanted to squelch it out before it grew, before it really got started. Well, just like many of us with the COVID-19 pandemic, pandemic, we are staying behind locked doors. We're held captive by the fear of this disease. But Jesus removed all fear and doubt when he came and talked to the disciples on that night. He showed them the marks of the nails that were in his hands, his feet, the spear that was thrust into his side. So there was no denying that this was Jesus resurrected in a glorified body and he removed all fear and doubt. 
as we go through this time of COVID-19 and we have fears, we have uncertainty, we don't know what next week is going to hold. We don't know if one of our loved ones is going to contract this disease and live or die. We need to let faith eat our fear. It says in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. It's true that we need to be responsible to our elected officials and to do what they say, but we need to know that because of the resurrection of Jesus, we overcome any fear, even the fear of death. Paul reminds us that we live by faith and not by sight. And for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. At this Easter season, let your faith eat up your fears. Take courage and let God fill you with peace as we go through these days of chaos and uncertainty. Be reminded that God is our overcomer. And maybe you're listening to this today and maybe on this Easter Sunday, you're not sure that you have a relationship with this resurrected Jesus Christ. The one, as we said, who is at the right hand of the Father. And he's praying for his people, the ones, his children that have believed in him. And you say, I don't know, I'm not certain that I have that assurance that I have a relationship with him. I'm not sure when I die that I will go to heaven. Well, you can know for sure because the Bible tells us that each one of us, as we come into this world, we're born with a bent to do things wrong, to sin, to break God's commandments because we want to do what we want to do. Burger King used to have a slogan, have it your way, when you walked into the restaurant. And that's how it is. We want to have things our way. The bad news is that that separates us from a holy God who's perfect, who's without sin. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came and died on Good Friday and shed his blood and made the payment for your sin and my sin by being our substitute, by taking our place, by when God asked for a payment for sin, by making that payment so that we could have the hope of eternal life. So we realize we're sinners. We're unworthy to get into heaven. God is perfect, and only people who are perfect get into heaven. But Jesus, when he died, he paid the penalty so that we could have access to the Father. And so we have to come and admit that what we've done is wrong and be willing to turn away from our sin and ask Christ to come in and take control of our lives, to forgive us of our sins, and then give us the hope of abundant life here on this earth with purpose and peace, but also eternal life that we can look forward to in the next life when we breathe our last breath. And so in this Easter Sunday, if you've never trusted in the resurrected Christ, I invite you to just pray this simple prayer. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner. I've broken your commands. I've told lies. I've slandered. I've, you fill in the blank. I've done things wrong. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I ask you to come into my life to take control, to let me live for you. I thank you for dying on the cross. I thank you for paying for my sin. And I invite you to be my savior today. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you prayed that prayer, I encourage you to contact us here at Pleasant View Baptist Church. And we'll give you some material. We'll pray with you. We'll help you in the next steps as you're now a babe in Christ. And now the next steps is to how to grow in that faith. Let's close our time in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can pause even in the midst of this pandemic, even in the midst of this chaos, even in the midst of this confusion, Lord, that we can see and put away all these distractions and see you lifted up as the Son of Man to be resurrected, the resurrected Jesus Christ. And we celebrate that today, and we celebrate the power you give us to give us great faith and courage and peace, but also to transform us and to give us assurance of eternal life. Help us to really focus in this week and be reminded of what that phrase means, Christ is risen. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen.